Well, first off, um, thank you for letting me be here with you. I love this church. Uh, Jamie and David Shannon and their 25 children say hello. Um, yeah, the Shannons used to be here, right? And um, Dasha, uh, she and I connect a good bit by way of Facebook because 3E trained a church, a network of house churches out in San Francisco because Dasha was out walking around the park and saw them. Uh, giving food to people living through homelessness and was like, hey, have you heard of 3E? And the church was like, no, we have not, you know, because they're in San Francisco. And uh, so they looked us up, prayed and fasted for a year, called us, and then we trained the churches out in San Francisco. But that was a connection from Dasha, which was a connection from here. So it's crazy how the Spirit of God works and brings all these things together. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful to be here with you. I would like, sorry, I'd like to pray, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll chat a little. Father God, thank you for this time to be together. The way you love us and the way you know us. Pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear, our hearts, that we would feel, our minds, that we would think deeply and clearly about the gospel of the kingdom that you extend to us in King Jesus. Pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, that your spirit would bear witness to the presence of Christ among us. Pray that you'd be with me, that you'd hide me behind your cross, that my presence would be buried in its shadow and but go to say anything that isn't good or right, let the words fall to the ground. But if anything that is said is good and right, then establish it deep within us. Thank you for being with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I always find preaching a peculiar event. Um, and sometimes I find gathering together as a people of God quite peculiar. Uh, but I realize that when you're speaking in different places, because uh, I don't normally like to speak in places where I don't live. It's just kind of a general rule. Uh, for me, but um, I think it's I think it's a helpful thing to come together and talk about our faith, right? Uh, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to offer some thoughts that are not going to be new. Um, at least I hope they're not new, uh, but I hope that they're at least a good reminder of what God is up to in our lives. Uh, now I'll start by telling you a little bit about my friend Doug. I met Doug uh, through our winter homeless shelter in Williamsburg, Virginia. And as I got to know Doug, I found out his story. He had a sick and ailing father, and he decided that he would quit his job as a history teacher, where he had been teaching for 10 years, to care for his father. But he needed to find a job that would allow him to do so. His father needed more care during the day. So Doug decided to become a pizza delivery man. This history teacher who read Shakespeare for fun was delivering Domino's Pizza to a neighborhood near you, right? And this is what he was doing so he could have the days to take care of his dad. One night after a long night's work, he was still wide awake, at least so he thought, and he came home and he grabbed his new novel and he blew the dust off the dust cover and he began to read and then he began to get hungry and so he wanted to cook his favorite meal, shrimp and grits. And so he put the pan on the stove, boiled up the oil, began reading his new book, fell asleep. Woke up to a house filled with smoke. His father had passed away. He was all alone. And the house burned down. And he passed out. And he woke up two months later in the hospital. With burns from head to toe. To find out that his house was destroyed. And that his father had failed to pay the homeowner's insurance. So Doug was homeless. And he had lived this way for eight years. 
He comes into our shelter. He's this jovial man who loves to talk, loves to read, intelligent, loves to journal, avid journaler. We began a friendship. He begins walking with us as we walk with him. He comes into our three restoration process. He gets housed. He drinks, he eats, and he drinks, and he eats. And I begin to wonder if Doug is not living with alcoholism, but Doug's the last guy in the room to be convinced. And every now and then, I'll get a call from his roommate saying, Doug is sleeping outside again. He's not in his right mind. Can you come over? And I would trounce over to the house, 1130, 12 o'clock, and we would talk and try to convince him to come back inside. He would be drunk. He would go to sleep, and all would be well, and we'd begin again the next day. Anyway, this begins to set a rhythm and a pattern for our behavior. And admittedly, I'm not doing well with it. I'm getting exhausted. I'm getting tired. I wish he would just see that he has this problem. He seems to be the only guy in the room that doesn't know he has this problem. And I begin to hurt him relationally. I think I begin to abuse my relationship with him because when we find ourselves in this desperate circumstance with people we love, what's our natural inclination? But to try to reach out and control the situation so we can manage the outcome, which after all would be for his good. But I hurt him anyway. So we had this mutual friend, the guy that was in our all-in friends network that Doug really connected with, Jim. And so Jim and I basically switched places in relationship. I still love Doug. Doug's still my bro. We still meet. We go over to my house. We watch Gandhi together over and over again. But Jim ultimately is the guy who walks with him in the closest relationship. Over the course of this two years, Doug begins to discover he might really have a drinking problem. Jim and Doug talk about this drinking problem. Doug was this agnostic, intelligent, thoughtful, jovial man who finally found himself in this place of brokenness. And he comes to faith, he continues his drinking, and he finds himself in another place of brokenness. And one day as I'm driving, I get a phone call and Doug says to me, Fred, I'm going to die if I don't get help. He says, I need help. And I said, brother, I've been waiting for this. So Jim and I, we call all the treatment facilities within a two-hour radius. We find one an hour and 45 minutes away because in our locality, that's the best we've got. We check him in. And I'm praising God and I'm thankful that my brother's finally going to get well. He's a part of our family. The church loves him. He fills the room with his presence. I can't wait for him to get home. And I get a call two days later from Jim. And Jim says, I have some news. Doug died. He died in his sleep. His body seized up. They didn't treat him for DTs. And he's gone. You work this hard, right? You love this fully. And you see love liberate. Just to see love die. It's easy to wonder if it's worth it. Doug didn't have anybody in life. Except for us. He didn't have anybody in death. Except for us. So we buried him. And we celebrated his life. 
I've got Doug's ashes in my office next to the ashes of another friend who died just a year later. I also have Doug's journals in my office. Some little pieces of Doug that lie around. I was fumbling through his journals just a few months ago. I do that from time to time. And they're really, really snarky. <laughs> and he talks so bad about us in the journal. It's so bizarre. So like when we were walking with him, one of the chapters, he's like, these suckers, they're paying my rent and giving me food. And for real, he just goes off on us. And I read it like, you... You know, and I'm just reading this and reading, and then I flip through, and thankfully he doesn't talk too bad about me. Like, that's what, like, right, like, after the, like, he's in glory, and I'm sitting there reading all the bad things he's saying about me. He's probably talking Jesus' ear off, by the way. And as I'm reading, and I thumb through, and I find the other journal, I read the other journal, and I'll never forget, I found this paragraph, and this is what it says. It says, it looks like these naive people are not what I thought. After all this time, they keep giving us things and paying our rent. They talk about God's love. I'm beginning to think they really believe it. Perhaps I am too. That's what I remember. See, Doug always taught me things. And he teaches me things now. And he teaches me through his writings. And see, Doug comes from a long line of tradition people who teaches us through their writings. It's like John, Jesus' disciple, who teaches us through his writings about God's love. When he says in the text that we read earlier, to all who did welcome Jesus, this eternal word made flesh, right? Who made us home with us. To all that welcomed him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Now think about that love that John talks about. I think about that love that challenged Doug and changed his life and that changes our life. But I think about how this love is a mystery. It's this confounding divine act of otherworldly love to liberate us from ourselves, from our disordered loves and disordered understandings uh, of love revealed by our tendency toward self-determination and our tendency toward uh, misguided allegiances and misplaced hopes. This kind of love that moves us from self-serving to self-investment. That moves us into gracious hospitality, extending it to all people. Because every person is of great worth and value, just as they are, despite how we think they should be. It's the kind of love that drives out fear and offers an impassioned invitation for anyone to come. It's the kind of love that makes us vulnerable to hurt. And all of that is the kind of love that liberates the kind of love for which the heart aches because it is intertwined with the love of the divine. And John knows this liberating love because he knows Jesus. Doug learned this liberating love because he knew Jesus. And so I want to just ask, do you know this liberating love? And we talk about it all the time. John seems to tell us in every miracle and every message, Jesus ministers. And embedded within it is this divine act of stubborn refusal to give up on us. It's this divine act of an impassioned plea to give us the kind of life we ache for, a life deeply intertwined with the divine as children of God. 
And what I've learned from my friends and what I learned from John is what we've learned from Jesus, and that is to be loved, is to be liberated. And this liberation becomes our transformation. So I want you to do this with me because I do this at home. Say it with me. To be loved is to be liberated. And this liberation becomes our transformation. So I think I think Jesus' closest companions describe his love in stories filled with the best and worst of humanity because he wants us to see that this love liberates. This journey with Doug was hard. I messed up a lot. I didn't love him as well as I should have. <laughs> as I read his journals, I think I could say the same about him. <laughs> but that's the beauty of it, right? Because I may not have loved him as well as I should have, and I may not have loved him as well as I could have, but at least I had a chance to love him. And at least I had a chance to know his love, what version of love he knew. And that makes loving worth it. Because it liberated me from myself. It liberated me from my self-serving interest into a self-giving investment with life with him. And vice versa, it was, it was bringing out the best and even the worst in me. And it looks a lot like what I see in the scriptures where Jesus does the same, right? Where he, where he finds these folks and he loves them anyway. And even though the religious right and the religious left won't, would rather just leave them out, Jesus includes them in and offers them this kind of life that liberates and transforms and then says to them, as he says to us, you go do the same. It's in love and because of love that Jesus encounters the righteous saints and wretched sinners, the religious elite and the rejected left out, the politically powerful and the politically powerless. And in love invites them into God's royal family, a family to love us in life and a family to love us even in death. It's in love and because of love that the companions of Jesus bear witness to us. That God loves without caution or restraint, without boundaries or limits, beyond worthiness and unworthiness. That he loves the liars and the thieves, the ashamed and those struggling to believe. He loves the broken, the addicted, the lonely and the afflicted. He loves all of us. The question is, do you believe that? Do we really believe that Jesus loves those folks? Do we even believe that we're loved like that? So what I love about John... It's later in life when John's writing in his journal, right? He describes this other letter. He says this in 1 John 3, 1. It's one of my favorite verses. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. Anybody know what comes after that? It's my favorite line. And we are. Like I seriously, like I see John sitting there like with his with his Montblanc pen, right? And he's and he's and he's pulling out the paper and he says, he's just thinking, like, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And he's like, Oh, I don't know what to follow. Like, what do I say after And we are! Like he just doesn't know what else to say, but just we are. Highlight, underline, right? The thing is, like, when, you, when you're me, right, you, you, I get asked all the time, why is it you talk so much about God's love for the poor and the marginalized? I'm asked why I often talk about justice. And it's, it's because I, I, I'm coming to learn through, through people like Doug, who embody the words of a guy like John, who tells us about Jesus, that we really are loved. That we really are loved. And it's a great love that God loves all of us. Everyone had given up on Doug. 
His own family had given up on Doug. It was a church that had no dog in that fight that refused to give up on Doug. And thanks be to God, he refused to give up on us and refused to give up on himself because you know what? He died trying. Like that's the biggest piece I take in his life is that he died trying. There was something about that love that finally liberated him to the point where he thought he was going, he was going to try to live into the liberation that God offers him in Jesus and he got it, though, didn't he? Did he not get it? Like for the longest time after Doug had passed, I was immersed in the grief and the anger and the frustration thinking that it ended. And I forgot my own theological conviction that it actually began. The liberation that this 62-year-old broken man longed for, he finally did receive. And I got to love him along the way. And liberated me. So what I've come to learn is that God's love, it actually is unconditional. It can't be repealed or replaced. It won't be taken away. But it's also a love too great to keep to ourselves. God's love isn't ours to own. I have no authority over God's love. I'm only a witness. So are you. And our responsibility as a family of people, as children of God, our responsibility is to receive it, to enjoy it, to rest in it, and to practice it. To practice it, to do as Jesus did, to press in. What I learned about Jesus that he defended those who were displaced. He welcomed those who were unwanted. He valued those who were vulnerable. He pled for those who were poor. He held those who were hoarding. He supported the sick. He watched over the widowed. And there were times when he spoke God's truth to the systems of power and in his death and resurrection disarmed them anyway. And I know this because I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it in Dove and in Lonnie and Tommy, and Collins, and Patty, and Chris, and Billy. I've seen him do it in me. And I bet you've seen him do it too. See, when I have felt displaced, he defended me. When I felt unwanted, he welcomed me. When I have felt vulnerable, he valued me. When I've been poor, he pled for me. When I've been hurt, He helped me. When I've been sick, He supported me. I bet He's done the same for you. To be loved is to be liberated. And this liberation can become our transformation. I could have quit. I could have quit the whole thing when Doug died. But if I'd have quit, I'd have never met Collins. Met Collins at the same shelter. As I got to know Collins, I found out that he was a successful real estate man. He drove a Jaguar. I've seen it. I've seen the pictures. More importantly, I saw the speeding tickets that he owed. <laughs> <laughs> he was successful, and 
So much so that he would buy things like Jaguars and buy nice clothes and drink nice drinks and do fun things. He was an avid skydiver. God bless him. Jumped out of the planes like 3,000 times. He's like zero help to me when I fly, by the way. <laughs> but he got sick. He got sick and he took too much ibuprofen for his knees and for his back and the real estate market blew up and he lost his job and he had to manage a restaurant and his knees and his back hurt even more so he took more ibuprofen and he drank more drinks. And eventually his kidneys just failed and he went into stage four renal dialysis. And so two hours a day, three days a week made working a lot more difficult for him and he lost everything. And so he came into our shelter and Collins came in as a guy who was very suspicious of religion and religious folks. But I knew that he was alone. And so as he told me his story, I asked him a question that changed everything. He was telling me his story. I said, can I be your friend? He said, excuse me? I said, can I be your friend? He began to weep. Which is not generally the response I expect when I ask somebody to be my friend. I said, what's wrong? He said, no one wants to be my friend since I was homeless. All the people I used to know in this town that I grew up in, nobody wants to act like they know me. We became friends. He said, I'll be your friend, but I'm not coming to your church. I said, cool. I struggle with that too. (laughs) I'm with you. So we started walking together. We drank some coffee together. He'd read his book. We'd just sit and chat. Talked about a lot of different things. Collins, again, very intelligent man four-year degree from his school, businessman, just went through hard times. He got housed, found a job, we're talking, we're hanging out. He realizes I'm the only friend he has. And so he calls me one day, he says, dude, you're the only friend I've got, and I love you, but it's kind of lonely. Can I, um, you think I could go find some friends at your church? I was like, what? He said, can I come to your church and find friends? I'm I'm not interested in the things your church is, but... Can I at least find some friends there? And I was like, dude, as long as you're not looking for a girlfriend, you're more than welcome to come to our church. And so he comes to our church. And he realizes he knows several different people because he's met them at restaurants, that sort of thing. Eventually, Colin sits there and he's hearing message and he's seeing Eucharist and he's praying prayers and he's singing songs and he hears about this love of God. And one day he decides he's going to test the possibilities of this God's existence. And so Collins is going to the laundromat and he falls 50 cents short, which is frustrating for him. And so he decides that he's going to play the role of divine chess, right? Collins says to God, if you really are, then make 50 cents appear. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. When I get back, there's 50 cents here. I'll believe it. True story, no preacher exaggeration. So he goes out and he smokes a cigarette. Then he smokes another cigarette. And he goes to wash his clothes. And he looks. Lo and behold, on the dryer. And so he calls me. And he can't believe it. He came and he tells me this story and I can't believe it. And he's like, Brad, I'm not lying. And he's, I'm not lying, man. I'm not lying. Like, this really happened. 
He, and the thing is, is in our relationship, I kept trying to say to him anytime something would happen and he would try to give us credit. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, this cheesy evangelical, but I mean, I have to be honest. I'm like, dude, like that's God's work in your life. man. you don't have to believe I do. You don't have to believe it. That's how I see the world. That's God at work in your life. You do with that what you want to do. And he finally said, now I get it because he gave me 50 cents. And I was thinking, dude, God gave you a lot more than 50 cents. But we'll start there. You know, like, with that, I'll take it. So one day we're drinking coffee. And he says to me, he says, you know, Fred, I think it's time. I think it's time you tell me about this Jesus. I go, oh, man, that's good. Like, we start, we start talking about Jesus. And we're talking about Jesus. And he says, here's a problem. I don't have a Bible. So I'm like, man, we can solve that problem. God, you know, he can loan us 50 cents. We can go get a Bible. So go to Barnes & Noble and spend an ungodly amount on a Bible. He doesn't know I'm buying him a Bible from Barnes & Noble. I get in the car. I hand him the box. He opens it up. And it's this beautiful leather Bible. And his only response is, Holy <laughs> This is the best looking Bible I've ever seen. And I was like, bro, it's because you had not seen many. And so he begins reading it. We begin talking. Next thing you know, we baptize him into Christ. The next thing you know, he comes to me one day as he's liberated by the love of God and says, man, I've got to do this for the rest of my life. I've got to make sure people like me know that people like me exist and need to be loved. So see, he gets it. See, Collins gets that to be liberated by the love of God is to be transformed by the love of God. To receive the love of God is to give the love of God. When Collins was displaced, Jesus defended him. When Collins was unwanted, Jesus welcomed him. When Collins felt vulnerable, Jesus valued him. When Collins was poor, Jesus pled for him. When Collins was hurt, Jesus held him. And when Collins was very literally sick, Jesus supported him. Those who have been rescued must help in the rescue. Those who have been liberated must help in the liberation. And those who have been reconciled to God must embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Those who have been restored must restore others. We learn to defend the displaced because we've all been displaced. We learn to hold the hurting because we've all been hurt. We learn to support the sick because we've all been sick. We learn to value the vulnerable because we've all been vulnerable. And when we do that, we are liberated by the love that we've received. My friend Collins now speaks at churches. He now works for 3E Restoration Incorporated, calling people like me and you to see people like him and Doug. And to enter into the love of God at work in their life. And by some point of grace, just bear witness to God's presence and the reign of Christ at work in that moment. From life to death. And into life again. See, were it not for the love of God, when Doug died, I think I would have been done. Because Doug's death fell after Tommy's death. Something broke in me and Tommy's 
And then I remembered. Doug really didn't die. He just changed neighborhoods. And it was my job to make sure, while I still lived in this neighborhood, that the next Doug I met, and that there was a love willing to welcome him home too. That's the love we celebrate at the Eucharist. That's the love we've been talking about this morning. That's the love that raises a hallelujah. And that's the love that the God of the city wants you, a storyline, to bear witness to. Don't give up on love, because love won't give up on you. And don't give up on others, because Christ isn't giving up on you. To be liberated comes from the love that God gives us. To be liberated is to be transformed into the love that God wants others to know. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless this church. As they bear witness to your love in this place, as they announce the liberating king that has come with a kingdom that can liberate us from our misguided allegiances and misplaced hopes and disordered loves. Father, fill them with your spirit. They would be faithful. And when love creates a sense of vulnerability, that creates a sense of pain. May your spirit bring peace so that we would get up and begin again. Thank you for allowing us to love. Thank you for loving us. For loving us most, even though you know us the best. Thank you for refusing to give up on us and liberating us into life with you. Help us to join you by your spirit in that divine work of liberation to bring hope to hopelessness, light, darkness, and beauty to brokenness. Because that is what you do. And that is who we are. And I praise you and thank you for this church that is learning, as I am learning, what that means. May your spirit lead us on. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, man. Thank you all. Huh? Hang on up here for a second. Okay. Uh, I want to give you all a chance to respond to the message, not like like altar call respond, but like <laughs> Duncan was getting excited back there. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but uh, we might need to rebaptize Charles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be now first in line. Right, right. <laughs> uh, what um, What's grabbing your attention this morning? What's sticking with you? What are you taking away from? Um, from Fred's thoughts.
I grew up in church, and I feel like over the past year I've sort of had a revelation of what God's love actually is, and it's just so like transforming to everything and how I view everything, and that that God's love brings liberation. God's love doesn't bring bondage; it brings liberation, and if the church is bringing something that's bringing bondage, that's not God's love, and that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, I, just, I really appreciate that. Mine was two words. Um, I think it's really easy to, to just get caught up in getting through the days and days um, for all of us. But the two words that just struck me that are in my brain is see me. See me. And make sure that during the day, I, I believe that God sends people our way. And make sure that I'm seeing Yeah, that's good. I think that there's just as much beauty in the there as there is in the sea. Mm. Yeah. And I think that really affects me just because I think a lot of times it's more just sweet and as people who cook depth of flavors when you can mix bitter and sweet. Um, and it creates a whole full of you know, that pours in that it, it creates the whole picture. Um, rather than just one flavor, those flavors essentially. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times it's Like, I'm reminded that we're going to love no matter what, right? Like, Christ or no Christ. We're going to love because we're wired for love. So with love comes vulnerability. Vulnerability is inherent to love. The difference between a liberating love that comes from God, from which we love, to which we love, is that the vulnerability we experience is a hopeful vulnerability. Because without the liberating love of God, it's a hopeless vulnerability. Because pain has the last word. But in the liberating love of the kingdom of God... Pain doesn't have the last word. There's always hope. Martin Laird is a Franciscan. Uh, wrote this grateful book called Into the Silent Land. And he has this beautiful image in there. The argument is uh, that separation from God is an illusion. That God is always the ground of our being. With every breath, every moment, sustained by the love of God, whether we know it or not. The right. feeling of separation is an illusion. Yeah. And that we pursue so many things beyond that great love that sustains us. He says uh, we find ourselves in proverbial fishermen, uh, fishing for minnows while standing on a whale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was just struck by beneath uh, this, this commitment, pursuit, understanding of love is this belief that God is the ground of our being. Mm. Uh, and not just mine or yours, but all of creation. Mm. God holds it all. Which which gives which gives me hope when like I, I can't do it anymore, I don't want to do it anymore, it pains to like to know that okay, the thing that undergirds all of this even if we can't see it, uh, is this God 
God's love. Yeah. And the Eastern Orthodox Church would call that grace, right? Because yeah, right. their definition of grace is the uncreated energies of God. Yeah. Right? And I love that idea is that the uncreated or unseen energies of God always at work, giving us breath, giving us life, bearing witness to the love and the presence of God. And I think for me, listening to you this morning made me think about our own stories of pain in storyline. Uh, as we've given ourselves to love people like Kenny, who passed away. Uh, and like Lowell, who's in prison. Um, just, it's hard. It hurts. I think it broke our hearts um, on both of those counts. Um, this is a call to me. I think it's a call to us to recenter and regroup in the love of God and find find our ground there so that we can uh, go back out and do it again in the hope of resurrection. Because I, th- I think we've been fatigued a bit in our compassion. Um, and we've been hurt. We've had pain. Um, this is hard stuff. But the love of God liberates us, even in the midst of that. So, sorry to break down on you guys. Thank you for telling the story, in other words. Not just the ones that are easy or the ones that are filled with light and next death. Yep. Because some of them, a lot of them aren't. So it's refreshing (coughs) to hear speak on the stories that feel like they ended in despair. And I mean, I'll tell you, like, something breaks inside of you. Tommy and Doug and Lonnie, the three who passed away, were close to my son. Tommy and I used to ride bikes with Ian every Sunday after church. And when Tommy died, and to this day, when we drive by the bike trail, my son goes silent. He's quiet. And I know why. In the beginning, I didn't. And I would ask. Instead, I just miss Mr. Tommy. But my son knows now, even at the youngest age, with his mom and dad still alive, this is what happens. That there's a price to be paid with love. The question is, you're going to pay a price one way or the other. The question is, is it worth it? I think it is. Because for every three... For every three or four or five relationships that seem to end in despair, there's the one that doesn't. And I'm made better through it all, and hopefully they're made better through it all, but man, for the one that doesn't, that's the one I can sometimes forget to celebrate. So even yesterday, I think it's important to tell the stories of brokenness. So I think we have this hero complex of hospitality that's unhelpful and unhealthy. And then congregations like you, communities like you, try to engage in, have your hearts broken, and you say, to heck with it all. It's easy to do. And I say that that's okay to say that. Lament that. Lament it with every fiber of your being. But at some point, that lament has to change keys. Because people need to hear sounds of praise, too. Thank you, Fred. Thank all of you uh, for your reflections on the message today. Uh, I hear God at work in the midst of that. Uh, It's our custom after the message to do mission prayers. I thought it would be appropriate since Fred was with us to pray for 
the work that Fred's doing uh, and the work his community of faith uh, is doing through Williamsburg Christian Church, through 3E Restoration. So, Fred, would you tell us a couple prayer requests that you have about uh, what's going on right now? And then I'd like to invite somebody to come up and pray for yeah. Fred and crew. Um, wow. Yeah, because you mentioned this earlier. Right. Yeah, no. Um, no, I mean, I, I would ask. I mean, our church family is, is like you, right? Like we share we share similar impulses. We want to we want to be a place that welcomes the broken. And boy, when, when I mean, because we are the broken, right? So I would say, pray for pray for strength. I know that's cliche, but I mean, we're kind of tired too. I mean, we're walking with some folks who. Generally, people give up on, like really, in some complicated situations. Uh, and we've got people who, um, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts, and some people are living with cut 992. Uh, and so pray for strength to, to keep pressing into the Spirit uh, as a church. So, yeah, I pray for strength and unity. That would be my, my prayer. And I guess the same with 3E, because the 3E staff have it. I would argue they have it harder because their view is for every 12 people that if their 12 churches walk with, one church is walking with one, three E's connected to all 12. And so they feel the weight and the joys, um, maybe more than others. But maybe pray for the same strength and unity for them. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so strength and unity, I think, is good. And uh, I don't know, y'all may not know, but I hate flying with a passion like in flames. <laughs> so I will selfishly request that you remember me tomorrow morning uh, as I fly. Who, who would come up and pray for strength and unity and safety? Thanks, Pastor. And Fred's scaredyness of flames. <laughs> Man, if God wanted us to plane, he made us birds. You know what I'm saying? He wanted us to fly. You know, like, that's him, I thought. You're still weak, man. I You're am. Still I'm weak. such a weak man. Fred, give God strength. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, waking us up and for... Um, gathering us here to um, listen to uh, your word, to worship together. And uh, I pray for Fred. I'm so thankful for him and um, I'm seeing firsthand uh, the work that he's doing through you. And um, it's, it is a, um, it's, it's just been a very special thing to see and witness and to hear about. And um, so I pray as he goes forward and his church goes forward, um, just give them the strength and unity that he requests. And when they're tired, um, when they're uh, when they want to give up, um, just um, give them perseverance to keep going and um, to know that it's okay to um, to lament, to um, get upset, to um, get mad. And but that you're bigger than you're bigger than all those things and you will sustain them. And I just I pray that um, that you don't let Satan get in the way of their mess of, of three E's message of what they're teaching people and, and, and working with people to do. Um, I just I think it's a. I think it's a message that so many people need to hear, and I know that a lot of times when it's a message like that, that that's what Satan attacks. And so I pray that you keep Satan away from 3E, um, 
and from Fred and his family and his church. And um, just give them boldness and, and um, give them health and give them wisdom to press on. And um, as someone who loves flying, I pray uh, that Fred can get just a little bit of joy tomorrow out of <laughs> flying and um, that he can... Love the pace of an airport and love the uh, <laughs> love the experience of flying and not be scared and because it gets gets you where you want to go quickly and um, it's a great thing so I pray that I pray that you be with Fred as he um, as he flies tomorrow and just um, uh, cover him with love it's in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen, Amen. Nothing like ripping all the brother in a prayer. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. Lord, make him a man. Oh. <laughs> I've never heard of, I've never heard of such an eloquent uh, apologetic of flying and in a prayer, nonetheless. <laughs>